Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, folks. Uh, Psalm 75, verse 3 says these words, When the earth and all its people quake, it is God who holds its pillars firm. What wonderful words. And why start our first online service in the midst of a global health pandemic with words of mere mortals? Let's start them with God's words, Scripture. When the earth and all its peoples quake, it is God who holds its pillars firm. Our world is being shaken. Extraordinary times, unknown times, anxious times. But people, God is holding its pillars firm. So, for some more weeks ahead, things are going to be different for us. But as we shared in our e-news during the week, we want to react with love and out of love, not out of fear. You maybe know that I travel regularly to slums where disease is constant, and I've been to Haiti as, as the cholera gripped the nation, and I've driven around in blacked-out vehicles in Guatemala to prevent being kidnapped. And I sat in an hotel just a few weeks back when the local U.S. embassy sent me a text saying to expect an imminent terrorist attack on an hotel in the very city I was in. And which hotel was it? Could it have been my hotel? So, we're not reacting to the COVID-19 virus out of fear. Instead, we're responding with love. Love for our neighbors, love for our fellow citizens, love for the weak and the most vulnerable, love for our elderly friends and church members. And the Bible calls us to love and to care for our neighbors and for others. So, our decision to move our services online and to close down our campus 
is not an act of fear. It's an act of love. And we will do our part to protect from others from possibly coming into contact with someone who's carrying the virus. And we do it also as good citizens, acting with civic responsibility. Uh, as people are being asked to sacrifice so much, some are losing their jobs, some are losing some income, uh, some are being asked to stay indoors and not go out at all. If we insist on coming together because it's our church and it's our right, then we damage the gospel and the witness to the love and the grace of Jesus Christ who denied himself and taught us to love the way that he has loved. And our neighbors and our friends would look at us as irresponsible and selfish if we just did business as usual. And it's only for a short time. So we ask you, over the next few weeks, work with us. Don't grumble. Don't complain. And remember, the church isn't closed. It's just the building that's closed. You are the church right where you sit. Be the church and stay safe and love your neighbor by doing what we'd asked you to do as we sent out our e-news earlier on this week. And as we shared, for every hand that you can't shake, make sure you text them or call that person and check in with them or ask if they're okay and pray with them or pray for them. Social distancing doesn't mean spiritual distancing. Abide in Jesus. And as some of you shelter in place and stay indoors, pray for your family, pray for your friends, pray for your neighbors, pray for your colleagues. And as a church, we'll keep in touch through e-news, through social media. Watch out for updates from, from us, some of the new things that we'll hopefully roll out in the coming few, few, few days about how you can virtually gather together in small groups or Bible study and maybe even during the week some uh, special worship experience that we can create. And uh, look out for all that we'll try to bring your way. And even this morning, make sure that your kids click on to the Facebook uh, page and check out what our children's ministry are doing and join in. So, Today, for the first time ever, welcome to SVCC Church Online. And today we're delighted that our friends in Porterville are joining with us. And as they're merging with us as a church, they're joining with us for this time of worship. And then after this time of worship, Pastor Seth will speak to the congregation in Porterville. And then I get the joy to address the congregation that's part of SVCC here in Lamore. So welcome everyone to our online service. And I'm going to leave it now to Pastor John and his team to lead us in some worship. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days oh yes i will yes i will lift you high in the lowest valley yes i will bless your name yes i will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my 
Joy when my heart is heavy. Oh. 
Amen. 
Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand Dearly Father, Lord, we just thank you for an opportunity to come before you, Lord and to praise you. We know that you are a God to be exalted in all circumstances, Lord. So we pray that you would just move in our hearts today, Lord. Help us to feel your presence, Lord. We know that you're a God of hope, and you see all things, and you move in great and mighty ways, Lord. So we lift our burdens to you this morning, Lord, and we rely on the hope that is found in the solid rock of Christ Jesus. We exalt your name and know that you are going to work on our behalf behind all things, Lord. There is a purpose. So we thank you again just for an opportunity to rejoice in a brand new day, Lord, to lift our hearts up to you, Lord. And we look forward to how you're going to move this morning, Lord, and just give us your heart, Lord. Give us your eyes. Calm our spirits, Lord, and help us to be in your presence, held in your hand, knowing that you are the hope of the world, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, South Valley family. Welcome to our first online worship service. So glad that you're a part of that today. I was thinking about our Lord uh, this week as he walked through Palestine and spent those years with his disciples. And one of the things you'll notice about our Lord is that he never ever is in a hurry. He's never late. He's never fretting. He's never anxious. He's always calm. And he told his disciples, he said, if you have seen me you have seen the Father. You know, right now in heaven, there's absolute calm. There's no panic. Our God is in absolute and sovereign control of everything. And it occurs to me, and I hope that it occurs to you, nothing ever occurs to God. He's never surprised by a pandemic virus. He's never surprised by what happens on this planet. So we can rest assured that our God, our sovereign Father, is in absolute and sovereign control of everything. This morning, I just want to briefly say to you, because this is new for you and new for all of us, but we want you to continue to be faithful in your prayer time and your walk with Jesus and in, and in just living out your faith in Christ. And that includes also your giving. So if you are able, we encourage you to give online. That's, that's certainly something we've been doing for a while, but if that is not something you're comfortable with, you can, you can mail your tithes and your offerings uh, into the church office, and that would be your way of expressing your worship and your faithfulness to God. So I just want to pray for us right now as we continue getting used to this new way of uh, worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ together. Father God, we come before you again, acknowledging that you are sovereign in perfect control of this world. And Father, while it seems fear and panic are gripping the globe, yet we, your people, can find peace in the midst of the pandemonium. Your word tells us that you will keep in perfect peace that one whose mind is stayed on you. And Lord God, you've also said 
that you would give us your peace, that your peace you would leave with us, not the kind of peace the world offers, but the kind of peace that you alone can give. So I pray, Lord, that as we face the days of uncertainty ahead, we will not walk in, in fear, but in faith, and that, Heavenly Father, everything we do as your church will impact this world for your kingdom. We ask it all in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, I'm guessing some of you are just logging on now to our online service. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for trying to keep normalcy in your lives by showing up late to church, even in your own living rooms. Uh, welcome. I'm going to do a 20-minute talk because I don't think we'll get your attention for much more because there's something in the fridge that you want to go and grab or, you know, the dog needs let out. But uh, there's a very insightful verse written by the wise man as he wrote some of the Proverbs in the Bible. And he writes about what makes the heart sick. And the best way to understand what he is meaning is what is it that drains us or worries us or makes us anxious or despairing? And Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, the human spirit can survive just about anything, but it cannot survive the loss of hope. And that's something of what we've been singing about this, this morning as Pastor John and the team led us in worship, songs about hope. And I want to come right out the gate this morning. We are in difficult, strange times, much unknown, much to cause us fear or anxiety. None of us have ever lived through a global pandemic like this. Many of our hearts are sick. We're worried, we're anxious, we're despairing. Dr. Lewis Smeads was an author, a Christian teacher, who used to be the professor of ethics and theology in Southern California, and he tells of a good friend named Tammy Kramer, and she was the director of the outpatient AIDS clinic in Los Angeles General Hospital. And one Saturday morning, a young man came in for his usual treatment, and he was met by a new woman physician whom he'd never seen or had before. She came in and, without looking in his face, just said to the young man, you know you don't have more than a year to live, don't you? And as the young guy walked away, he stopped at Tammy's desk, and he was weeping. And he said, that SOB took away my hope. SOB is sons of Baptists, just so you know. And, and Tammy looked at him, made sure their eyes locked, and she replied, I guess she did. Do you have another hope? And that's the question. When you look tragedy and sorrow and misery and fear and difficult circumstances full in the face, do you still have hope? Like today, right at this moment, on a scale of zero to ten, where does your hopometer stand? Now, when you put all your hope in your children, but they've grown up and there's distance between you and them, do you still have hope? 
Or when you build your business and you invest your life in it, and, and along comes a more aggressive competitor who steals your customers and diminishes your market, do you have another hope? Or when you've placed so much of the future in your spouse, but through betrayal or disappointment, they fail you, do you have another hope? Or when so much was dependent upon good health or financial security or great friends and time robs you of such, do you have another hope? The human spirit can survive just about anything, but it cannot survive the loss of hope. And for you this morning, or in the dark hours of the night as you've been restless in bed, or in the loneliness of a doctor's office, or in your living room as you try to balance your checkbook and pay the bills, or in the hanging up of a phone call that ended the way you've always been dreading, or as you listen to the unfolding coronavirus pandemic news, or maybe in the grasping for faith and for answers and meaning to life, Maybe your heart has become sick, worried, despairing, anxious. Life is being sucked out of you. Someone or something has taken away your hope. And they may not bury you for a while, but you're dead inside. We're heading towards Easter. We're only three more Sundays till Easter Sunday. And I want to go on a journey towards Easter over these next few weeks. And I want to start where John the Apostle starts from. Like Matthew and Mark, the first two books in the New Testament and the first Gospels, uh, they begin their Easter journey with the story of a blind man receiving sight. And, and it's a picture of Easter opening our eyes to something new and something more. The third Gospel, Luke, he begins his journey to the cross and to Easter by giving a warning about the cost of rejecting Jesus for who He is, the Son of God, the Son of Man. But John, the fourth gospel, begins his journey towards Easter with a scene of despair and a scene of hopelessness. If you have a Bible or either Bible or you're on your phone, John's gospel chapter 11 is where I want to go to. Jesus has withdrawn from the city of Jerusalem prior to His return to be crucified, and He's preparing Himself for all that's about to happen in Easter week. But his preparations are interrupted by an urgent request about a dear friend who's sick. And the story revolves around Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And these three people, they knew Jesus really well. In fact, Scripture tells us that Jesus would often spend time at their home. Their home was in Bethany. It was a suburb of Jerusalem. And when Jesus came to Jerusalem, He would often sleep at their home. But they hadn't seen Jesus lately. Chapter 10 of John's Gospel tells us that the last time Jesus entered Jerusalem, people tried to stone Him, and so He stayed away from Jerusalem. But the story unfolds that Lazarus got up one morning and he had a cough, and that cough bothered him, and that cough got worse. 
and he went to see the doctor, but the doctor just shook his head. Nothing he could do. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, were desperate. And, and Jesus was now their only hope. They'd seen Jesus heal people. I mean, they'd seen him do it for total strangers. They had seen Jesus heal people who Jesus didn't even recognize their faces. They had seen him heal immoral people. They had seen him do it for people who didn't even deserve it. And now Lazarus is sick. And Lazarus is such a good friend of Jesus. In fact, if you look at verse 3, they don't even need to say his name. They send a message to Jesus. And the message just says, Lord, the one you love is sick. And then Jesus does this strange thing. And this is what both excites yet confuses me about Jesus. It both makes me love him, yet causes me sometimes to question why he does what he does. Like, if a close friend of yours sends you a message, like, come quickly, Mary or Christy or Frank or John is sick, you would go as quick as you could. But Jesus gets this message about his friend Lazarus, and he doesn't get on his horse and head south. Verse 6 of chapter 11 says, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. In fact, the story goes that Jesus stays put long enough that by the time he says, okay, let's go to Judea, where Bethany was, Lazarus has actually died. This is the strange thing. This was not incidental. This was deliberate. And this is where the journey to Easter begins for the Apostle John. You see, you cannot understand what Jesus is always up to. You cannot understand why he has delayed. You cannot work out his actions. But nevertheless, you believe in him, you trust in him, you place your faith in him. The Easter journey is firstly a journey of faith, but it's a journey of faith that births hope. Jesus delays for a reason, and the reason is a faith reason, because faith is the birthplace of hope. Hope does not exist outside of faith. I've got a definition of hope for you. It's going to be on your screens. Hope is nothing less than the expectation of those things which faith has believed to have been promised. Faith is the expectation of those things which faith has believed to have been promised. Let me tell you about who wrote that quote, a man by the name of Jürgen Moltmann. Jürgen Moltmann is one of the premier theologians of our century, and he's a German, and he was drafted into World War II for the German army. And he was sent to the German front where 
the British soon captured him. And the next three years as a teenager, he was kept in British detention camps in Belgium, in Scotland, and then in, then in England. And as the war progressed and Hitler's empire collapsed, he watched as hundreds of German prisoners collapsed inwardly, giving up all hope. Jürgen Moltmann was not a Christian. And the only two books that he had to read were Goethe's poems and the complete works of Friedrich Nietzsche. Hitler had distributed those two books to his troops. Both writers were atheists, and both believed that God was dead. Neither of them nourished hope. But in a prison of war camp, a chaplain gave him a copy of the New Testament and of the Psalms. And as he read the Psalms, he came across the words, If I made my bed in hell, behold, thou art here. And Maltman discovered that God could be present in the dark night. And as he walked the perimeter of the prison, he memorized the Psalms. Something else was being birthed. Hope was being birthed, not a selfish hope that maybe one day he would escape or he would be released, but there was a hope that even in prison, behind the barbed wires, God was present. In fact, most of all, God was present behind the barbed wires of our lives, the prison that we live in. When Maltman was eventually released, he abandoned his plan to study quantum physics, and he turned instead to theology, the study of God. And he founded a movement called a theology of hope. Therefore, faith believes God is true. Hope awaits the time when this truth shall be manifest. So, faith believes that God is our Father. Hope anticipates that He will show Himself to be our Father. Faith believes that eternal life has been given us. Hope anticipates that it will now be revealed. Faith believes that Jesus Christ is a healer, a savior, a rescuer, a deliverer, a forgiver. Hope anticipates that there's coming a moment when He will heal, and He will save, and He will rescue, and He will deliver, and He will forgive. Faith is the foundation upon which hope rests, and hope nourishes and sustains our faith. So, here's Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and by faith they believe that Jesus can heal, and Jesus can bring hope, and Jesus can save, and Jesus can deliver, and Jesus can rescue. By faith they believe that. So, they call in Jesus at their moment of despair and need, and Jesus waits and Lazarus dies. And Martha and Mary have a decision. Does their faith still give birth to hope? Or does their faith now dissipate and just they return to panic and despair 
even denial. And that's where some of you are at this moment. You're at this intersection, these crossroads, and right this morning you're facing that choice. Do you remain filled with hope that God is in control and the future, your future, is firmly in His loving, safe hands? Or with all the panic and confusion and all the fear and the possibilities of what could happen if the coronavirus curve is not flattened, do you give in to fear? Do you give in to doubt? Do you begin to live with no hope? Follow me on the journey. Because Jesus decides to head south to Judea. And so, He turns to His disciples, verse 7 of chapter 11, and He says, let's go. And they interject, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there? The journey of hope is never a calm journey, but it is a safe journey. We need to learn that hope is always the basis for perseverance. Why do I persevere? Because I hope. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8 that hope waits for it patiently. And Jesus heads off and Eeyore suggests that they all go with him. You know who Eeyore is. Ever watched Winnie the Pooh? Eeyore is the hopeless donkey. Why bother? It won't work. Too hard. I'm not pretty enough. He'll never change. We might as well all go and die with you. Thomas, verse 16 of chapter 11, has the Eeyore syndrome. And as we go on our Easter journey towards hope, some of you listening and watching this morning, you're Eeyore. What's the point, Gilbert? It won't change. The stuff that's causing problems for me are permanent. I can do nothing about it. And hope is killed right out of the box, not because of the circumstances, but because of how you're reading the circumstances and because you lack perseverance. Stay with me on the journey. By the time they get to Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Friends and neighbors are there comforting Mary and Martha. And Martha runs out to meet Jesus and she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You can feel the poignancy in her cry, if only, if only. We all have some if onlys. Like, if only I'd not said those words. If only I'd made a wiser choice. If only I'd worked harder at school. If only I'd gone to the doctor sooner. If only I told her that I loved her. If only I had spoken the truth. If only I hadn't quit. If only I'd asked for forgiveness. If only I'd said, I forgive you. 
sometimes it feels and seems that our if-onlys are the end of the story. But they're not. Because there is always someone you can take your if-onlys to. No matter what it is, no matter how bad it is, no matter how long ago it happened, no matter how unfixable or how unredeemable your only if seems to be. And some of you who are watching and listening this morning, you just need to hear those words. As we start this journey towards Easter, you need to know that there is someone his very quintessential person is to breathe into your soul hope for a fresh start. We're not ending our Lazarus story this morning, more next week. But let me close this morning by talking to either people who too often have the ER syndrome or people who feel that their if-only has disqualified them from life. People who feel and think that you might be beyond hope. Jesus breathes hope into the souls of people who are crippled and stopped in their tracks, hopeless because of their if-onlys. Listen in to uh, the words of the Apostle Paul as he whispers hope and writes to Christians who are fearing persecution and pain. It's Romans chapter 5, and I want to read the first eight verses. Listen in. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Yet rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is one of the most clear and central explanations of what Jesus did and the reason to place our faith in Him. It's simply a definition of the gospel. God demonstrated His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a base passage about salvation. 
And so often, perhaps, you've heard the gospel. So often, you've heard that Jesus died for your sins, and maybe often you've heard the incredible offer of justification through faith. But as you listen into the gospel, as you listen into the truth of Jesus being your sin bearer, being your sacrifice, as you listen into Jesus being your Savior, dealing with your sin, do not miss what Paul says faith produces. Faith deals with your past. Thank you, Jesus. Faith answers the if-only regrets and mistakes. But faith births hope. If you come to Christ for salvation, the faith that brings you to Christ is the same faith that has now birthed in you hope. Hope does not exist outside of faith, and faith, saving faith in Christ, births hope. The same love of God that was seen in Christ dying for you, whom you have embraced, is the same love from the same God that is breathed into your hearts, the means of hope. The human spirit can survive just about anything but it cannot survive the loss of hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And this morning, this coronavirus morning, if your heart feels sick, listen. Lean in. If your faith is placed in the saving work of Christ on the cross, you have birthed within you hope. It's not about how much faith you have, but it is all about who you have your faith in, the eternal, strong, saving Son of God, Christ Jesus. And if you're believing in the work of Christ, the Spirit of that same Christ now lives within you and births hope in times of despair. It births hope in times of hopelessness. It births hope in times of crisis. Lean in. Remind yourself of what you believe. Reread Romans chapter 5. Let His salvation hold you in the midst of this unknown. Because His salvation is big. It's big enough. It's strong enough. It's sure enough. Let me finish this morning with the words of Corrie ten Boom. Corrie hid Jewish and Gentile refugees in her home in the Netherlands at the time of World War II. And then she was arrested by the Gestapo and sent to a concentration camp. And she wrote these words. When all earthly security is very uncertain, we experience with tremendous joy the invincibility of the sure rock to which our anchor is eternally fastened. If you have trusted Christ for your salvation, you've eternally fastened your anchor to the sure rock.
And that produces hope, which keeps us alive. Let's finish with prayer. And we look forward to seeing you next week for part two. Let's pray. So come, God. Come into our living rooms at this very minute and meet with us. And the fears that we have and the, the doubts that we have, the questions of whether or not our past excludes us or whether or not we're feeling that the present is rocking our worlds and we don't know if we're safe and secure, come by your Spirit. And the Christ whose faith we are trusting birth within us this new hope that even when storms hit and even with a crisis as big as what is happening, may we know that if we're holding Christ, hope is alive within us. May your Spirit reveal that hope to us and keep us sure and steadfast in these days. And maybe there's someone listening, God, who has not yet placed their faith in Christ. May they simply reach out today and say, I believe. I believe. Come, we pray, and birth within us that hope that is Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. May God be with you this week.